Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And hopefully you have been digging on everything that we've been putting out. Today we got something really cool lined up for you guys. As you probably already know, the other half of what we do of Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone is our continuing education company called Con Ed Institute. And one of the courses that we run is a one-day workshop and it's called marketing your healthcare business branding your practice online and it's all about digital marketing I decided to get a little bit creative the last time we did this course I threw on the headset with the mic and I started to run the course while recording So we've got the first hour, hour and a half, I can't remember how long I actually recorded for, of the beginning of that course, I want you guys to check it out. We dropped some super value on marketing your healthcare business because it's the intro to the course. We don't really get into the digital side of it, but we do hit up a lot of cool marketing things that I think you guys should listen to. So excuse the quality because it is a recording off of a live class. There are pauses that happen as I'm interacting with um, some of the participants. And the sections, well, because there's a couple sections that we do, um, it's broken up by a break. So you're not going to really hear when we're taking a break. Obviously, we kind of trimmed that down for you guys. But, you know, let us know what you think. Peace. So this particular course, marketing your healthcare business, branding your practice online. A big part of what we do in this course is we're going to talk to you about how to go about setting up your digital marketing to really kind of attract and bring in potential clients and ultimately to engage the clients that you already have. So that's going to be a big part of what we do. So just give me one second. Sorry. So that's also going to be a big part of what we're doing here. So this first section here, since it's a digital marketing course and a big part of digital marketing is going to be things like shameless, shameless, shameless self-promotion. All right. So I started this off with a big part of shameless self-promotion. So here's a little bit about me. And I, whenever I do this to a larger group, as part of hitting in the concept of shameless self-promotion, I promote myself very shamelessly by showing you guys some of the stuff that we have on our social media. So about me, I've been a registered massage therapist since 2005. Also was head of massage therapy department for one of the schools in the greater Toronto area. Um, I did that for about eight years. I've also been a registered kinesiologist. I've been practicing kinesiology since 1999. Hence, see, shameless self-promotion, right? I've been a personal trainer since 1996. We started Con Ed Institute about 2013 on a very part-time basis. We had, you know, a couple courses that we did really part-time. And then in 2016, we jumped into it full-time. We have a full course schedule now. This is a link to my LinkedIn. It's a clickable link, so feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Another part of our shameless self-promotion, and we throw this up here as part of this particular course, because this particular course is going to have a, you know, when we're teaching you how to utilize your social media, it's not just about your business, right? It's also, you always want to have a little bit of your personal mixed in with your business. Now, every time we say that, we always have people say like, I don't want my life online. I'm a private person. I don't want people to see this stuff. Well, you don't have to put your life online. You put out whatever you want to have out. But the bottom line is, Why do people come and see you 
Why do people want to have treatment with you? Why do people stay with you as a patient or a client? There's three things that happen. One, they got to like you. If they don't like you, they're not coming back. Two, they have to believe what you're telling them, right? Essentially what you're selling them, but what you're telling them. They have to believe it. So if they like you and they believe what you're saying, you're almost there. And the third thing is they have to see value in what you're saying. So once you have all three of those, pretty much you have someone buying into whatever it is you're selling them. And essentially you're selling them a healthcare service. Now we say it like you're selling them a healthcare service and it sounds very much, it takes away the human side of it. It doesn't. At the end of the day, you are a business. And I think a big problem with massage therapists or other healthcare professionals trying to draw clients and keep clients and keep a busy practice is that we often just think of ourselves as healthcare professionals. We don't think of ourselves as business owners. We don't think of our business as an organization. And nothing's wrong with that because, as, you know, initially we all get into this field to help people. That's why we get there. But at the end of the day, if you can't make money and you can't keep your doors open, you're not helping anybody. So I think to, to remove the concept of we're a business and we should be in, into it to make a profit is a, is a bad idea because then we stop thinking of ourselves as businesses and therefore we stop conducting ourselves or maybe we never started to conduct ourselves as a business. And that's where things start to go wrong right away, right? Do you have your own practice? A solo practice all by yourself? You rent a room? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. He does not come. Exactly. And so how long, how, how long have you been with him? Four years. So, and now one year? So initially when you started... I assume that you didn't really have many people come through your doors. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now one year, one year later, is your practice as busy as you want it to be? Or there's still, you're, so we're still in that kind of mode of trying to get people to come in. And so this is what we're saying. So a lot of the times as a massage therapist, we feel like setting up our shop right then and there and advertising that we have these services brings people in. And you're a testament to that. It doesn't necessarily bring people in because sometimes people just don't care about your service. They don't care about your service. They don't care about the modalities that you do. They don't care about your education. They care about what you can do for them. They have a problem. They want it to be solved. They want to know, can you solve the problem that they have? And to be honest with you, most of the time, they don't even care about the process to solve their problem. So when it comes down to the idea of crafting your mission is where it first starts. A mission statement will define the company's goals. Now, again, we're thinking of ourselves as an organization, not just a regulated healthcare professional, right? If we want to attract big, we need to start thinking big. Your mission statement will define the company's goals. In other words, why do we do what we do? What do we do? For whom do we do what we do? And why do we do it in the first place? In other words, what do we do today? What do we do, period? What is it that you do as a therapist? How does it make you different, right? What's your differential advantage? What do you do differently that other therapists do not? How can you stick out from 15 other thousand RMTs in Ontario? And it's really important that we also think of it like that because you're not just competing locally. 
right? You're not just competing locally at all. If you're online and someone does an online search, is it just your community that pops up? Or is it from people in larger cities in around you, right? So in other words, you're competing at a different level for online space than you do physically in your neighborhood. We want to look at our mission statement as the, the present leading into the future. That's a huge thing that we're looking at. So whom do we do these things for? So your mission statement should speak to things like who your customers are. They should speak to your customers. Your customers should be able to read your mission statement, hear your mission statement, and it should hit them here and say, I want to be involved with this. It should also give you an idea of how your employees will be acting and responding to what your company is all about. Now, if you're a solo practitioner right now, you obviously don't have any employees. But hopefully at some point, the goal would be to build it to a point where you are so busy that you cannot deal with all the patients that are coming to see you and have your services. You want to be able to have employees, have associates. And that's how we're going to get bigger in this whole thing. If we think about it like this, once we stop treating, the money's over. Unless you are awesome with investments, unless you have a massive shoebox under your bed full of cash, once you start treating, once you stop and you stop using your hands, where's your income coming from? It's gone. It's finished. And so you see a lot of therapists in this scenario where they've either burnt themselves out and they have to stop treating, now they have to go get another job. Or they've been in the industry for however long they want to be in, and now they want to stop, but now they have to go get another job because there's been no plans made for post-therapy. And a big thing that we encourage in some of our other business courses, so we have a business course called Healthcare Business Entrepreneurship. One of the major things that we suggest in that particular course is you should be thinking about building a practice. Building a practice to the point at which when you're done, this is now something very tangible that you can sell. And that is going to be your pension plan. So what is the benefit of your services? So when we're looking at a mission statement, mission statements may have minor changes that happen over time. They shouldn't really change dramatically. Things that might change are the way it's worded, but what should really always be consistent is the meaning behind your mission statement. Because really at the mission statement level, the heart or the foundation of your mission statement, it will always tie back to your core values, your customer needs, your vision of your company. Does that make sense? The following are examples of effective mission statements, and these will clearly outline either the purpose or the value or a combination of the two of the organization. In other words, who are the organization's primary clients and what are the responsibilities of the organization towards their clients? So, for example, Coca-Cola, when you read their mission statement and we, when we hear it, it's going to make you realize everything that Coca-Cola company does is grounded in their mission statement. In other words, it's grounded in what they determine to be the company values. And therefore, everything that they do is really based on this. Our mission, our roadmap starts with our mission, which is enduring. It declares our purpose as a company and serves as the standard against which we weigh our actions and decisions. This is huge. Coca-Cola's mission statement 
the first part of the mission statement is actually saying that our mission statement is everything to us, right? They're telling you right now, our whole company vision starts with our mission. And we know that this is an, this is a mission that is constantly going, ongoing. It's also saying right in their mission statement that their mission statement will declare their purpose. Their mission statement will declare our company's purpose and serves as a standard for which we weigh all of our actions and decisions. I'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about and how this last sentence really kind of changes or will dictate how you run all parts of your business. Con Ed Institute, we have a mission statement. Our mission statement is, I don't know, to be honest with you, it's, it's one sentence and a whole bunch of other points. This took me probably about 12 hours to come up with because I'm trying to figure out a way to articulate everything that we're about. So our mission statement says this, Conant Institute is committed to being the primary continuing education provider for massage therapists, manual therapists, kinesiologists, and personal trainers by offering a variety of unique educational opportunities to enhance the knowledge and skills of all our participants, whereby contributing to the provision of the highest quality healthcare throughout our global community. We challenge formal models of education. We eliminate hierarchy. We open minds. We encourage and foster thoughts and ideas. We demand that you question and think deeply. Be bold in your pursuit of education. That's our mission statement. That is, in other words, that summarizes everything that we do here. Well, if you recall, last year, in uh, June 2018, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario sent out an email. And their email stated that the CEU cycle no longer exists. In other words, you don't need to collect courses. You don't need to collect value anymore. They still say you need education, but we're not counting course value anymore. And a big part of what we did was based on the concept that you need values. You need to take so many courses that have a value system to it. I'm not going to lie. I had a very small heart attack when that came out because that kicks the foundation of our business right out of underneath us. And then I contemplated, do I keep going with this or do I just shut this thing down? Because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And then I read my mission statement. And my mission statement told me that, no, we're committed to doing what we do. We believe in what we do. We believe we have a great product. We believe people will need what we provide. And because they take what we provide, it will enhance your ability as a therapist to treat the general population, the world. And so based on that, we weighed our actions against that. I threw the mission statement up against the wall and I said to myself, am I going to close my doors? Am I not? In other words, I kept the idea, the action of do I stay in business or do I close up based on our changing environment? And my mission statement kept me in this. My mission statement, anytime we, when we come to develop a course, I throw it against the mission statement. I say, is this something that our mission statement says we do? And if it's not, I abandon the idea. And if it is, I run with it. When I'm looking to advertise or I'm looking to do my marketing, I read my mission statement. I say, does this marketing campaign fit in line with my mission statement? And if it doesn't, guess what I do? I abandon the idea because if it doesn't fall in line with what I already declared to be the core values of this company, then this marketing campaign doesn't fit in with what we do. And there's a disconnect. I get rid of the idea and I look for a new one that matches. So when you read this, to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. It kind of sounds like Coca-Cola's advertising, doesn't it? Uh, you're 
you're of the age where you'll remember. There was probably, you know that song, and I can't remember who sings that song. I like to teach the world to sing. Coca-Cola used that, if you remember. It's like an early 80s, late 70s commercial. And they kind of use that idea. So in other words, they even took the advertising concept and they threw it right with their mission statements to refresh the world, right? So the way you can see the way they do their advertising, it really matches with their mission statement. Honda, did you drive a Honda? Have you ever owned a Honda? Just out of curiosity. Honda, the company's mission statement, maintain a global viewpoint, right? So it's talking now right here to the shareholders of Honda, right? We are dedicated to supplying products of the highest quality yet at a reasonable price for a worldwide customer satisfaction. This sounds exactly like Honda. There's no such thing as a Honda vehicle that is overly priced when you compare it to its competitors in the same marketplace. When you read Levi's, Levi's mission statement. So the, Le- the mission of Levi's Strauss and Company is to sustain responsible commercial success as a global marketing company of branded apparel. So it's speaking here to the company shareholders, right? Whoever has stake in the company. We must balance goals of superior profitability and return on investment, leadership market position, and superior products and services. It's still speaking to its own people. It's still speaking to its own company. We will conduct our business ethically and demonstrate leadership in satisfying our responsibilities to our communities and society. Still speaking to its own people. Our work environment will be safe and productive and characterized by fair treatment, teamwork, open communication, personal accountability, and opportunities for growth and development. So we can see that this particular mission statement is speaking directly to people of Levi's. This mission statement isn't directed to the general public, right? And you can read this. This doesn't resonate with you. This doesn't make you want to buy into Levi's, right? But what does this do? This makes all of the employees of Levi's say, yes, I love this company. I'm all about what this is, right? Nike's is speaking to the consumer. Their whole mission statement is about the consumer. Nike's mission statement. The Nike's mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, Every athlete in the world, right? The legendary University of Oregon track and field coach and Nike co-founder, Bill Bowerman said, if you have a body, you are an athlete. I love this mission statement. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And if you have a body, which you do because everyone does, you're considered an athlete. And therefore, we're looking to inspire and bring innovation to every person that moves their body everywhere. It's awesome. It speaks to the consumer. Starbucks. Are you a Starbucks drinker? Our mission to inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Does that sound like Starbucks to you? Does that feel like... I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not a Starbucks person. I'm not a coffee drinker. But every person that sat into our courses and hears that mission statement is like, yeah, that feels like Starbucks. Disney. The Walt Disney Company's objective is to be one of the world's leading producers and providers of entertainment and information, using its portfolio of brands to differentiate its content services and consumer products. The company's primary financial goals are to maximize earnings and cash flow and to allocate capital towards growth initiatives that will drive long-term shareholder value. So you can see this is not 
meant for the consumer, right? This mission statement is meant to speak to people at Disney. And therefore, everything that Disney does, they do it against their mission statement. If they're coming up with a new product, does it match their ideas of providing information, education? Does it match their ideas of innovation, and leadership in their product. And if it doesn't, guess what they do? They say, forget it, back to the drawing board. We got to start with something different. Apple. Apple designs Macs, the best personal computers in the world, along with its OS X, iLife, iWork, and professional software. Apple leads the digital music revolution with its iPods and iTunes online store. Apple has reinvented the mobile phone with its revolutionary iPhone and App Store and is defining the future of mobile media and computing devices with the iPad. Apple does this really well. Let's go back to the concept of an iPod, and we're of age that we would remember when an iPod came out. An iPod is a music player, we agree? An iPod is an MP3 player. It plays MP3 audio files. When Apple came out with an iPod, there were already a number of MP3 players on the market, but Apple's marketing took over. When we think about it, what Apple did, Apple came into a marketplace that didn't belong to them. And through their marketing initiatives, they took it over. Sony had an MP3 player. Sony makes audio equipment. It makes sense that you would want to buy an audio player from a manufacturer that makes audio equipment. Sony makes stereos. Sony makes speakers. Sony makes audio equipment. It makes sense. Sony had a Discman. Sony had a Walkman. Sony had an MP3 player, right? What's Apple? Apple's a computer company. How in the hell does a computer company come into the music industry and take it over? That should really trip you out a little bit, right? Sony does nothing, at least this particular department, nothing but make audio equipment. Techniques makes audio equipment. Panasonic makes audio equipment. Apple's iPod, a computer company, not an audio equipment company, a computer company came in and dominated. It's trippy. And how did they do it? They did it through their crazy marketing. Right? They did it in a, in a marketing strategy that spoke to the consumer. If you remember those early Apple commercials for their iPods, it was a person against a green background and there was a silhouette that was dancing around, right? Do you remember these? A black silhouette with the very recognizable white earphones and the white cord. And so you can see that white earphones and white cord, a black silhouette dancing. That's all it was. And they used very popular music of the time. So, in other words, as a consumer, you're looking at this saying, I can see this as myself. One, because they're not actually showing a person facial features. It's a silhouette. So, in other words, this could be anybody. And they're showing that anybody person really enjoying their music, which all of us do. We all enjoy our music. And at some point, we all dance around by ourselves to listen to our own music. And it's that's the image that it's showing, saying... If you like music the way we think you like music, our product is something you want to have. And everyone that likes music, which is most of us, we see that. We say, yeah, right? Compared to how was Sony, how was Techniques, how was Panasonic marketing their audio products? They weren't. And they weren't marketing like this. In other words, they weren't marketing something that Apple did. 
Apple hit into marketing the experience. Sony would say, this is our product. These are our features. Look how good it is. Panasonic would say, this is our product. This is the price. These are the features. Look how good it is. What did Apple say? Didn't say any of that. Apple said, look at this person enjoying our product. Don't you want to enjoy music the same way? Had nothing to do with the features, had nothing to do with the pricing, had nothing to do with any of that. It was all about an experience. And people bought into it because people buy on an emotional level. And then they justify it later with logic. But you purchase on an emotional level. Are you familiar with the bad boy commercials? Furniture store. Nobody. They're TV commercials. So the, the Lastman brothers, former mayor of Toronto, Mel Lastman and his brother, they own a chain of furniture stores called Bad Boy. And Bad Boy's commercials on TV, they're very loud. They're very flashy. And it's all about products and price, right? It's saying, look at this sofa set, normally $1,300. Buy it this weekend. It's $7.99. That's all it is, right? Look at an Ikea commercial. Have you ever seen any Ikea commercials. Ikea commercials don't talk about price. Ikea commercials don't even talk about individual products. Ikea commercials, you look at them and it's demonstrating an experience. There's a family that is sitting around their kitchen and they're loving each other. They're having a great time in the morning making breakfast and eating breakfast together. And everything in the kitchen is Ikea. But nowhere is it saying, look at this product that we have, or look at the price of this. It is showing this is a family enjoying the product that we have. In other words, Ikea here is selling you the experience of using the product. They're not selling you the product itself. Huge, huge difference, right? So when we're coming up with our mission statement, we want to keep all these things in mind. So this is what I want you to do right now. I'm going to give you some time because you don't have a mission statement, but I want you to think of a mission statement. I want you to try to come up with a mission statement and remember what we're doing with a mission statement. Our mission statement is going to clearly outline our purpose and the values for our organization. Okay. You don't need to come up with one right here now because it is going to take a long time and it should take a long time for you to do it. But what I want you to do right now, and I'll give you some time to do so is at least get down some points that reflect your core values that you can have to demonstrate to other people on your website, in your clinic, right on your wall, on all of your marketing material. Something that demonstrates your core values that probably sets you apart from anybody else, that talks about what you do and why you do what you do and who do you do the things for. Cool? I'm going to let you start with that. So the next thing we want to look at then, very similar to our mission statement, is our vision. And sometimes you can tie in your vision statement along with your mission statement. But I like how you did this idea of the mission statement because now it is giving you a foundation of which to build on, right? So in other words, if you start to think of marketing and advertising that doesn't match what you're saying, are you going to keep this marketing advertising idea? No, because your mission statement speaks about you and your core values, Right, So now anything that comes into play that doesn't match with your mission statement, we know, get rid of it. If you're going to hire employees and their philosophy doesn't match with your mission statement, what do we do? We don't hire them. 
If someone's working for you and whatever they're doing doesn't match with your mission statement, you get rid of them because ultimately it is your mission, it's your company, and you want all your ships sailing in the same direction because you don't want to have a confusing message to go out to the consumer. We want the consumers to understand exactly everything that you're about and everything that your company's about because we want them to buy into it. We want someone that understands what you do and likes what you do to buy into it. Now, that being said, is your statement or your advertising or your marketing campaigns, are they meant to attract everybody? No, they shouldn't. A marketing campaign that is designed to try to attract everybody actually attracts nobody. And we're going to talk about that. So the other thing that we want to consider is a vision statement. A vision statement outlines where you want to be in the future. What is your future going to be like? It asks questions like, where do we aim to be as a company, as an organization? Like the mission statement, it communicates both your purpose and your values of your business. It inspires you and all members of your organization. It shapes your understanding of why you get up in the morning and why the hell should anyone even care in the first place. So a lot of times what you might want to consider, instead of having two different statements, a mission statement and a vision statement, is to mix them together, to put it together. So like a mission statement, as your organization evolves, you may feel tempted to change your vision. But really you shouldn't because your vision is going to be grounded in the foundation of your values. So your values as an organization really don't change. So therefore the whole basic foundational um, premise of your vision and mission statement really shouldn't change. So you may have a single statement that combines both your mission and your vision, which I feel like yours is going to be more of a combination, which is perfect. All right. So the next thing we want to talk about then are some branding basics. So we're not even talking about digital marketing just yet. We're talking about branding as a whole and some basic ideas associated with branding. So traditional branding basics. One, brands or branding have two traditional definitions. A brand is a representation of a product, something that identifies your business in a recognizable way. Whether that's going to be a name, a logo, a certain color scheme, a writing style or a font, uh, other forms of media such as sound bites, all of those things make your product or service recognizable. So for example, when I was in elementary school, so I'm in a grade school, they used to, we used to have, most of the schools had them. They used to have these, these balls and they were three colors. They were blue, they were white, and they were red. We used to describe these balls as the Pepsi balls. Why did we describe them as the Pepsi balls? The shape of the Pepsi logo, which is a circle, it's blue with a white stripe and it's red at the bottom. This is exactly what these balls look like. It was blue at the top, white striped to the middle, and red at the bottom. So we can see how that was kind of like a brand representation to the point where any of us, we would see these colors in combination, we automatically think Pepsi. In other words, brand representation of a product. Another definition by its traditional meaning, a brand is the product's reputation, which creates certain customer expectations about the product. Customers recognize the brand representation, and then they also project specific attributes onto that product, whether that product is high quality, whether the product's healthy, whether the product is trendy or fashionable. When you have someone that comes into your clinic and they've got the Coco Chanel symbol earring, you automatically start to think, oh, trendy, fashionable. You start to think high quality. You start to think high cost. Does that make sense? 
So it's also the products or the services representation. Those are traditional ways to look at brands. And we want to keep those traditional ideas because when we're creating our brand, we want our brand to have some sort of representation. We want someone to be able to see your logo or to see a font written a certain way or to see a certain color scheme that's associated with your business. And they see that and they say, ah, that's your massage therapy business. I want everyone to see this logo and the color scheme and say, oh, Conant Institute. I don't even want Conant Institute to have to be written beside it. I want someone just to see that logo and say, hey, I know who these guys are. One of my proudest moments, I was at, I was at the Massage Therapy Expo couple years ago and I had a booth. So I'm on the trade show floor. I've got a booth. And uh, my purpose there was to kind of collect emails to see if anyone wants to sign up for a mailing list. Even though I didn't get tons of emails those days, I was super, super happy because the majority of people that came by that I spoke to said, no, I don't need to sign up for your emails. I've already signed up for them. I get all your, I see your stuff all over the place. I know exactly who you are. I'm like, that's branding. That's how it works. So let's take a look then why planning your brand is important because this is what we do next. We've established what the mission statement's all about. Now it's to try to create a brand, a recognizable brand behind it. But let's understand why branding is important. One, we know it's going to promote recognition. People tend to do business with companies they are familiar with. If your brand is consistent and easy to recognize, it can help people feel more at ease purchasing your products or your services. And once people are more comfortable purchasing your products or services, they now are demonstrating they have a certain trust in your product and service. And if they have a certain trust with it, it now starts to create loyalty. And loyalty is where you have that person coming in over and over again. Loyalty is where that person is now going to start to share what you do with other people, word of mouth. Loyalty is now where that other person is going to tweet Take a picture, Instagram, Facebook, check into your clinic. I'm going to get a massage by this awesome therapist. I can't wait. My back's been killing me today. I can't wait to see my massage therapist to help me fix my problem. Well, that doesn't come right away. That only comes after the trust and loyalty is there. So we do want to have a brand, a very specific brand that will allow us to create or create this avenue to have this loyalty and trust. I'll give you an example of this, how people tend to do business with companies that they are familiar with. I'm exactly this. I purchase the same, I, I purchase products by the same manufacturers all the time. Anytime I'm going for a phone, I buy an Apple phone. Guess what? Your Samsung phone that you have there might be superior. It might have better features. It might be more user-friendly, whatever the case is. I'm familiar with Apple. I very much like the product. I don't really care to even explore the products, right? I buy cars. How many cars have I had before in my life? Different brands. I've had a Honda before, one Honda, won't buy another one. I had a Ford, have one, won't buy another one. I've had one, two, three, three different Mazdas. I love Mazda vehicles. Whenever I'm looking for a new vehicle, I always go straight to a Mazda dealership first. I'm in love with their product. I don't really care to look anywhere else. Once I discovered that I like Mazda and I like what it's all about, then this is the company that I tend to do business with because now I'm very familiar with them. My wife and I, we used to live at Young and Eglinton, so Midtown Toronto. And if you are familiar with Midtown Toronto, you know that there are a massive handful of bars and restaurants in the area. Okay. Now, we used to live in the area and we would go out every Friday night after work. 
and the area that we lived in, we'd walk. First of all, why are we going out to a, a bar? We're going out to a bar to hang out with each other, drink some stuff, eat some stuff, and talk some shit, right? In other words, can we do this at home if we wanted to? Can I stay home and eat some stuff and drink some stuff and hang out with my wife and talk some shit? Yeah. Why did I leave my apartment, walk by one bar, second bar, third bar, fourth bar, and why did I go to the fifth one? And why is it every Friday I did the exact same thing? If I'm going out to do these three things that I could have done either at home or at bar number one or number two or number three or number four, why did I always go to bar number five? I like what they're about. I like their service. What their setting is, the way the staff conducts themselves, it makes me feel a certain way. And even though I achieved my objectives for the night at any other location, I'm going back to the familiar. What did they do with me? They created a certain amount of trust in their products and services, which are no different than any of the products and services that I walked by. And what did they do with me? They built loyalty. I was loyal to them until I moved out of the neighborhood. Another part of our branding basics, why brands are important. It sets you apart from your competition. It's no longer a very localized community. It's a global economy, right? Someone Googles you online, like we said before, they're seeing, you know, massage therapists from all parts of Ontario, maybe not even in Ontario, all depending on someone's ability to maximize their search engine optimization. So you have to be able to stand out from thousands or maybe even millions of other companies and providers that have similar products and services. You have to. And one way that we can do this standing out, because if you take a look at what most people do in terms of their marketing advertising, they advertise and market things like, I do reflexology, come see me. I do cranial sacral, come see me. I do fascial stretch therapy, come see me. Let me ask you this. When you have a leaky faucet and you call your plumber, do you care if your plumber is advertising? I have small wrenches. I have big wrenches. I have a whole truck full of wrenches. I look at all my tools that I have. That's what a massage therapist is saying. Look at all my tools. If I go to an accountant, do I care if you went to York University, University of Toronto, McMaster University? I don't give a crap. I care that you're an accountant and you can do my taxes and save me the most amount of money. So it's not even about the education, not to be like, I'm a massage therapist. I went to one of the legacy schools. I went to CCMH and I went to this other school to learn acupuncture. No one cares. Your audience doesn't care. Your potential clients don't care. I have a leaky faucet. I don't care about the size of your wrenches and how many wrenches you have. What do I care about? I have a problem. I have a leaky faucet. Can you fix it? So we should be advertising or we should be marketing a solution to a problem that somebody is going to have. Not all of the ways that we deal with any particular problems. Because that doesn't mean anything to anybody. That doesn't hit home with anybody. If I have low back pain, I don't give a shit. If you do fascial work, if you do acupuncture, if you do this, you do that, what do I care about? Can you fix my back? So this is where you often see a lot of therapists kind of in their marketing and advertising go this route of listings, products, and services, and all the things that we do versus let's talk about the solutions to problems that our patients have that we can help you solve or fix.
Number three, when it comes to understanding the purpose of branding, it tells the story of your business vision. It gives the full brand experience. What is the company culture like? What is the company vision? From the visual elements to the language that you use in your email correspondence, these things will all tell your customer what they say about you, what they say about your company, what kind of company you are. These are all points of entry, and do they tell the right story? People, like we said in our holy trinity, if they like you, you're one-third of the way there. If they trust and believe what you're saying, you're there next. And then does what you're saying add value to them? So how are they going to get to know you, to like you? They want to know your story. It's really important because that that creates a connection with the potential customer. A customer wants to feel connected to the company or the people or the products that they're using. It's not about the product itself. It's about how does the product make me feel? How can I connect with that? Does that make sense to you? So what's interesting, is it more interesting to watch a YouTube video on this is how you treat lumbar spine facet irritations? Is that more interesting from a consumer standpoint? Or is a consumer more interested in the story of that person that had the lumbar spine problem, how they got it fixed, and how they feel now? What's more interesting to someone that might have lower back pain? Exactly, right? But how do most massage therapists market this? They say, look what we're going to do here. We're going to do some fascia work, some joint mobilization. So the customer doesn't give a shit. The customer's like, okay, this, this doesn't even make sense to me. But the customer understands like Johnny is 45 years old, injured his back at work. He's a construction worker, saw massage therapy for treatment. And now Johnny can work easily. No more pain. Back is stronger. Johnny can play with his kids now without fatiguing. And the consumer says, ah, I'm like Johnny. I want what Johnny had done because I now want to live Johnny's life. Right? They don't care about all the other stuff. So that idea of telling the story, telling your story, how do you make that connection? Well, imagine you are doing a video for your new clinic and you know, you're showing your clinic. You're like, here's our massage room. Here's our exercise equipment. Here's our staff and reception. Okay, that's fine. That's, does that resonate with somebody? Does that make someone want to take action? Or You've documented, video documented your story of this is our clinic. We just bought the place or we just moved in. Place is a junkyard, right? And you doc, you video document you cleaning the place up. You video document you at, at Home Depot picking out paint colors. You video document you painting. You video document you putting together the furniture. And then at the end, you video document now look at our space. What's more interesting? the whole process, because now I feel as someone observing, I feel like I'm part of it. I feel like I'm in there with you. And this makes me more likely to want to see you and be part of what you have now created, because I feel like I've been creating it with you the whole time. How can we make this even better? How can we even engage the people as we're doing stuff? I'm on Facebook and I create a Facebook poll. Here's a video of me picking paint colors. Hey guys, I've got this blue color here and I've got this other blue color here. Tell me which one do you think might look better? 
Now I'm even putting them into the conversation about what we are going to do in my clinic. Now, as a consumer or someone watching, a potential consumer, you actually feel like you have been involved in this whole process. Now I'm more likely to want to come see the end result, which I, because I voted, had a stake in choosing the color. So things like that. Provides direction and motivation for your, for you and your staff. Like we said before, it provides clarity that is needed to be successful. It reminds us, how do we need to act? If my mission statement says that this is how we conduct ourselves, if we start conducting ourselves differently, we're not acting like our company. If our mission statement tells us how we need to think and we start thinking differently, then we're not acting like our company. Teach us how to win, how to meet the company's or the organization's goals. So again, it is something that we can always go back to, to make sure we're doing the things that we wanted to do in the first place. This is what's going to create your company culture. And even though you might be a solo practitioner, you do want a company culture. In other words, what's it like to be working in that particular environment? If your company was a person, your business was a person, and your business had a personality, what would that personality be, right? So for example, we are rough around the edges. We purposely project that. Well, one, I'm a rough around the edges kind of guy. And my company, everything we do is kind of rough around the edges. It's laid back. We can get away with using a couple curse words here and there. Our social media looks like that. If you take a look at all of our group pictures, all of our group pictures are selfies. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a very raw, amateur, rough around the edges kind of vibe. And that's purposely done because then we start to attract people that are very comfortable in that environment. Notice who we don't attract. We don't attract the very kind of stuck up snooty. Do you know what I mean? I'm wearing, I'm wearing dress pants and dress shirts to go to work kind of thing because that's not what we are. That's not what we do. And therefore, we're, we're not looking to attract that particular person. We're looking to attract more like-minded people. So the more we put out that demonstrates what we're like, the more it sits and resonates with people that are like-minded and they're more likely to come back and do stuff with us. And that's what you want for your business, right? Strong branding can generate referrals. This is what we need because ultimately at the end of the day, we're looking to have people come through our door. So people promote brands either purposely or inadvertently, telling others about the brands that they love through their actions. So right now, for example, I'm a walking advertisement for, for Nike. I'm wearing Nike shoes. I'm inadvertently, I'm not purposely saying, hey, world, look, I'm wearing Nikes. I'm inadvertently telling everyone I wear Nikes. I'm inadvertently advertising because I'm sporting their logo. People wear brands. People listen to brands. People post brands. Every time you go to a place and you check in on Facebook or you write about whatever you're doing, or you ever see those people that take pictures of their food, like that type of thing, essentially what they're doing, they're posting someone else's brand and sharing it. Well, why are they doing it? They're doing that because they're having some sort of positive experience with that particular brand and they naturally want to share it with other people. And we want to be able to capitalize on someone's natural wanting to share their experience with your products or services. And this we know can generate referrals and or viral traffic. When it comes down to number six, helps customers know what to expect. This is really important. A brand that is consistent and clear puts the customer at ease. When you show up to a place and it's exactly the way you expected it to be, you feel comfortable. 
When you show up for a product or service, when you show up for a service or receive a product, and it's not what you expected, you're dissatisfied and you're not comfortable. The customer knows exactly what to expect each and every time they experience the brand. Again, this will build the trust. This will build the loyalty. I'll give you a perfect example for this. There was a gentleman who took one of our courses. He took our, he took our RMT Business Seminar when it was called RMT Business Seminar. And he was giving us the story how, how a local paper, a local... It was a local media outlet, so they had they had a blog, they had a, they had newsprint, and then they had video, and they wanted to do a story on him. It was a very kind of local business type of thing. He is a very sports therapist. He goes to work in shorts and t-shirts, right? Like that's that's his that's his uh, that's kind of his brand. And his wife said, "Listen, they're coming to do a video and interview with you in your clinic." put on some real clothes, put on a pair of pants, put on a good shirt, and then go in and do this thing. And he was reluctant. He didn't want to do that because that's not what he does. That's not what his clinic is. Anyway, they did the video. I saw the video. It's actually really nice. It turned out really, really good. But he had some negative blowback from it because some of his patients and clients saw the video, said, hey man, who's that guy in the video? That's not you. Like they know it's him, but that that's not, that's not, the therapist we know. Like, why are you acting differently? Why did you even dress differently? Why were you talking differently? In other words, it created a disconnect. They knew this particular therapist and this particular therapist's clinic and brand a certain way. And now that clinic, that practitioners was projecting themselves in a much different way than what everyone was used to. And it created very much of a disconnect. And those were for people that were already there and knew that pr- practitioner. What if you didn't know the practitioner before? All you did was see that video. And then you show up expecting to see this gentleman in dress pants, dress shoes, golf shirt, hair nicely done. And now he's in basketball shorts, flip-flops, and a tank top. Wouldn't you think, what the hell is this? Like, this is not what I saw. It creates that disconnect. Now, nothing is wrong with either of those brands, right? I hate the word professionals and take professionals and throw it at the window. That doesn't mean anything to me. Why is he more professional, quote unquote professional, because he's in the shirt and pants and the shoes compared to the basketball shorts, the flip-flops? It, it doesn't make a difference, right? That's, the, that's, a, that's a certain ideology of professionalism. When it comes down to branding, all of that shit goes out the window. It doesn't even matter. What matters most is be the brand you are wanting to be, exercise that brand, be consistent. And once you're consistent, then we can put the customer at ease to know what to expect every time. Does that make sense? Your brand represents you and your promise, very similar to what we said previously. It is important to remember that your brand represents you. You are the brand. Your staff is the brand. Your marketing materials, they are the brand. And then you want to ask yourself, well, what do all of these things say about you? What do they say about you and what you're going to deliver to the customer? And if this information is saying something different to the customer than you want to say, then we need to change this stuff. If we're saying to the customer, for example, with, with the therapy that I do, it's very aggressive in nature, it's uncomfortable, it yields results pretty quickly, and that's, that's what it is. If you come into my clinic and it feels like love and sunshine and rainbows and cupcakes, right? In other words, it's got this very kind of, kind of hippy-dippy, cheery vibe to it. 
it's very different experience than what actually happens. And so we want to have a promise from what I'm giving as my brand to the experience that you're going to have. I'll give you another example. I used to work at a place and they would be considered very unprofessional by, you know, most people's standards. So for example, it's because it's a very athletic place. Most people there, they're in shorts, they're in t-shirts. This place is very loud. There's very loud, aggressive music that plays all the time. The staff are a little bit rough around the edges, meaning they look physically like not nice guys, right? You know, bald heads, earrings, piercings, tattoos. You know what I mean? They, there's a certain look to it. But they live their brand. Everyone that goes there expects that's what it's going to be like. Everyone that goes there knows what they're getting into. Imagine you went there after seeing their videos and everything else, and you walked in it with sunshines, rainbows, and cupcakes. There's a disconnect, right? They're not living up to their brand promise. You want to make sure that you're living up to your brand promise. We know the brand is also going to help maintain clarity and help you to stay focused, as we said before, helps you stay focused on your mission and on your vision. This is huge. Your brand will create an emotional connection. Good branding connects people at an emotional level. Purchasing, like we said before, purchasing tends to be an emotional experience. People feel good, proud, special, etc. when they buy a particular brand. People feel emotionally connected to what the brand represents. So if we do not have a brand, we are missing out on capitalizing on connecting people based on our brand. It's such a huge, huge thing that most therapy professionals, that most healthcare, because they are in the mindset, I am a healthcare professional, I am a chiropractor, I'm a physiotherapist, I'm a massage therapist. They don't think to themselves as, I run a business. And my business needs to have branding in place because my business needs to stand out. My business needs to connect. And that's the only way my business is going to grow. Lastly, we know the brand is going to provide value. A strong brand will provide value to your organization well beyond any of your physical assets. Are we cool with this idea? Right on. So the next part of what we want to do then is take a look at developing your brand. But before we do that, let's take a small break because we went through a ton of stuff. I just wanted to kind of sink in, especially if you don't already have a brand in mind or you haven't started this concept of branding, you probably have a whole bunch of ideas floating around. And that way we can just kind of zone in and focus on them a little bit. Cool. Let's take like a 10 minute and then we'll kind of come back and look at this section. Any questions so far then? So if we get into our part four, which is going to be developing your brand, we know that there's going to be a couple of things that we want to keep in mind. So we've got about seven things that are going to help you develop the brand that you're looking for. One, we want to write down your branding message. So kind of as we already said before, when we came up with the mission statement and the vision statement, that's part of your branding message. So what are the key messages you want to communicate about your brand? Every customer and employee should be aware of your brand attributes. Okay. So that's part of understanding the mission statement or documenting the mission statement and now translating that into every part of your branding or marketing ventures. We want to create a voice for your company that reflects your brand. So like we said before, your voice. Well, what do you mean by a voice? This voice should be applied to all communications and incorporated into all of the visual imagery of the brand, whether it's online material or offline material, like we said before, with your voice. If your organization 
has a personality like a human. What is that personality? What is that personality that you're trying to put forward? And that is going to be your company's or your organization's voice. That should be consistent in the way your website looks and the language used on your website, your email communications, your telephone communication, all of your marketing material. In other words, I should be able to find any of your marketing material, not know the company that it's for, but know your company's voice and be able to put it together and say, this is coming from this particular organization or this is coming from this particular therapist. We should design templates and create brand standards for your marketing material. So using the same color scheme, using your logo placement, all consistent, the look and feel throughout should always be a consistent, consistent type of theme. Again, creating the potential for someone to easily recognize what you're trying to do. Develop a tagline. Taglines are awesome. We've actually had people come to us because of the tagline. So on our Facebook, we recently posted someone, someone came and took our athletic taping workshop and they posted their whole story about finding us online, hoping the course wasn't a dud, and then saying that what really drew them in was our tagline, which is be bold in your pursuit of education. And they said that kind of hit home with them. Okay, let's be bold in this idea. Let's take a chance and let's see what this is all about. So develop that tagline, write down a memorable, meaningful, concise statement that captures the essence of your brand. In other words, take the mission statement, work that down into, if you can, one line that really summarizes. And now you're going to sprinkle this tagline everywhere, everywhere you post stuff, everywhere you do your advertising, your marketing, you are going to place this all over the place. Okay. Integrate your brand, so extending your brand to every aspect of your business, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you talk, your marketing, your advertising, your website, your physical space should all be really, really consistent with your branding message. Be true to your brand. Customers won't return if they feel that you're not delivering on your brand promise like we spoke about with that particular individual who did that whole video setup and uh, it wasn't consistent. And then keep consistency. That's a must. If you can't be consistent in everything that you're going to do, your attempts at establishing a brand are going to fail. Okay, so those are the things that must be there. We don't necessarily need to do this as an in-class exercise, but one of the things that we always have you do to take home, we want you to carefully consider these things because you already have a brand. I don't know if you recognize this. You have a brand already. We want your brand to be intentional, not by accident. How do you know that you have a brand already? Well, your customers already view you a certain way. Your colleagues already view you a certain way. The general community already views you in a certain way. Now, if they're viewing you in a way that you do not want to be viewed, if they are taking a message away about you and your organization, about you and your therapy, that you do not want them to take away, you want them to take away something different, then we need to make some changes. And this is what you want to consider. Carefully consider the following questions. What does your business do? And it's not just massage therapy. Like we said before, it's not about the service. It's not about the different products. It's about the problems that you you solve. That is what your business does. What needs does your business meet? Ties into what we just said. What problems does your business solve? Exactly what we said. How do your clients feel about you psychologically? Not physiologically, psychologically. 
people don't come back to you because you made such a physiological difference in their life. Most people can't even figure out a physiological difference, but they understand psychologically how they feel after using your product or service. How does your business differ from competition? Again, one way that we're going to stand out because most people say, hey, this is my product. This is my service. This, this. Small wrenches, big wrenches, like we said before. No, we're going to talk about different ways that we stand out. This is what I want you to do when you're at home. Write down a statement that summarizes what makes you unique. Define your current clients, why your current clients work with you. Because again, this is our brand that already exists. Why do they already work with you? Describe how potential clients will recognize your branding. How do your clients and colleagues describe your practice? And then you want to describe the image you are looking to portray or that you want to portray. And then you want to, lastly, does the office environment, the client communication, your marketing, your promotional materials, your your image, do all of these things line up with what you want to look like. And if they don't, then you need to identify what changes need to be made in order to alter these elements that are not in sync with the vision that you want to have for your business. So let me ask you really quick, and you don't have to answer anything you don't want to. What do you think other people see your business as like right now? Like if your clients were to describe you and your business, how would they describe you and your business? Okay. So there's a level of client comfort. How else would they describe you? How else do they describe you? Okay. How would other colleagues describe you in your practice? Yeah. Other therapists, how would they describe you in your practice? And if there is no answer to this, then that's okay. Okay, this is perfect. So now you, you already have a pretty good understanding as to what people would describe you as. Now the next question is, are what your clients currently saying about you is what the other staff members currently saying about you? Is there, are they saying things that you like? Are they saying things that you want them to say about you? Are they saying things that you are intending them to say about you? And then the next thing is, what aren't they saying about you that you would like them to say about you? How would you want your clients to describe you if they're not already describing you that way? And then we have to create the marketing. We have to create the branding. We have to create the voice that will make them see you in a certain way that you are intending them to see you as. Does that make sense? All right. So that's an exercise that I want you to do at home. Okay. And then I'm going to check with you in the week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes, yeah, because the only way you're going to get these definitive answers as to what they think of you is to survey them so that you have, exactly. You know, or what do you like about the experience? Tell me how we can make the experience or how do you view the experience? Something like that. And that way you can capitalize on the information that they're giving you. The next thing we're going to talk about something is really huge. It's called the branding experience. We want to market the experience. Like we said before, it's not about the product. It's not about the pricing. It's not about your services. It's not about your education, but it's the experience. So when we look at marketing, we want to take a step back and look at marketing as a whole. When we talk about marketing, we're going to define it. The action or business of promoting and selling products and services, including market research and advertising. This is an activity that's used to attract clients, share a message, develop a brand or image that shows value. 
When we talk about target market, we already hinted at the idea that your marketing messages should not really be for everybody, right? You shouldn't try to create such a generic marketing initiative or such a generic marketing campaign that it's not targeting a specific group of people. Like the IKEA commercial that we talked about before. That IKEA commercial is purposely targeting young families, right? Because the imaging in that was a young family, a younger mother, a younger father with younger kids enjoying their IKEA kitchen. If I'm the college kid looking at this and I'm moving out of my dorm, I don't look at this commercial and say, hmm, I want to really go to Ikea and get a whole bunch of stuff so to go live in the house with my four other college buddies. Because that marketing initiative wasn't meant for me, the 22-year-old college kid. I'm not expecting it to. It shouldn't be. It's meant to hit home with that young family, right? So that's a good example of how the marketing message needs to be so targeted then it can really resonate with the people that you're trying to target. It is meant to repel anyone that it doesn't fit into. That is absolutely fine. That's perfect. Because what you're describing are different marketing campaigns. So you have your brand, which might be, I'm skillful, I'm empathetic. Like that's, I'm just using the, I'm just throwing these out there. Like this is kind of your brand. But then when you do your marketing and advertising, you are targeting specific groups and therefore your message needs to speak to that group. So if you're speaking to the mothers, then you want to talk about or you want to talk to them in things that they understand and can relate to. The stress, the anxiety of dealing with children and dealing with, with, um, your, your occupation or your your career at the same time, injuries associated with early motherhood or pregnancy, those types of things. You're speaking to that group. It's not meant to talk to me. I'm a dude. I don't understand this stuff. I'm a father. I have a different viewpoint to raising a child than a mother does. I have different physical needs than that mother does. So I'm not meant to receive that message. That is that group that is meant to. But your branding, your mission, your voice is still consistent within the different marketing avenues. So yeah. So once we start to take a look at the marketing, the brand experience, how do people experience and deal with or work with your brand, we want to consider the following. What are memorable experiences that you've had with another brand? Because we can already take a look at the experience that you've already had with another company or another service or another anything, and then try to understand what drew you to that. What, what did you like about that? What made it memorable for you? What makes you want to go back to them and then now start to use some of those components? So in other words, what was memorable about that experience to begin with? Why was that even memorable in the first place? How did it make you feel? What did the experience do for you? How long did the experience last? Did it have a lasting impact on you? And why did it have a lasting impact if it did? How did it help improve your life? Did it help you improve your business? How did it help you be more or do more or whatever the case is? So in other words, you're finding out an experience that you've had with another product or service. And you're trying to see how did that make me feel and why did it do that? And now can I make my products and services do the same thing for somebody else? Does that make sense? Perfect. We know memorable brand experiences don't have to be complicated. For you enjoying a product or service and having all positive things to say about it and you're loyal to it and you are trustworthy of it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. The key things here, memorable brands create memorable experiences. 
they evoke some sort of emotion, whether it touches your heart, makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you think, whatever it is. They will help you a memorable brand. It'll help you in some way. It'll help you learn. It'll help you grow. It'll teach you something. It'll give you the opportunity to do more, to be more, whatever the case is. You are going to, in other words, it's going to add a certain value to your life. And then it will also inspire you to engage. And when we say engage, to talk about it, to tell people about the experience that you've had. If you have a great experience, what's one of the first things you do? You talk about it. If you saw a great movie and you loved it, do you just go home and never talk about it to anybody? Or do you want to share it with everybody? Hey, I saw this awesome movie. I think you'd like it. You should go see it. I'll take you to go see it. I'll take you to go see it. Not even go on your own. Like, I'll take you there. That's how much I loved it. I'll make sure that you experience it the same way I did. Heard this great song on the radio. You got to listen to it. Here, I'm going to play it for you right now. You don't just hear the song that you really love and you listen to it by yourself and never share it with anybody. These are experiences that you have. And naturally, when you have a good experience, a memorable experience, you want people that you care about to have that same experience because that experience was impactful for you and you want to have someone else be impacted the same way that you were. So inspires people to engage, whether they're engaging in online, your online platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or word of mouth, either which way, those are all engagements, right? Life's memorable moments are not created necessarily by a pretty logo or a complicated campaign. A lot of things that end up going viral, they're not complicated at all. It might even be amateur hour in the way that they're produced, So let's take a look at these two different ideas. We have this old school view of branding, and then we have this new idea of branding. Old school view of branding. Brands were nouns. They said something. They said it loud. They said it often. And that's where I love to use that example of that that bad boy commercial, bad boy, that, that furniture company, because it's a very loud, obnoxious commercial. Their tagline is nobody. And they're like, so far, $3.99 used to be $12.99, whatever the case is, right? So it's all about this loud, say stuff, say it often versus this other way, this newer way of looking at brands. Brands are verbs. What you do, how you act, what they experience. That's a whole other way. This is the Ikea commercial versus the bad boy commercial. Out with product awareness, out with brand management, out with marketing gimmicks. It's not about, hey, look at our product. Look at this T, look at this car. Look at the features. Look what it does. Look at the price. It's not about that. It's about this people, not consumers. Emotions and fans, conversations, attention to empathy. Say goodbye to the fake. It's gone. So car commercials are the best for this. And I love using Mazda again because I'm a big Mazda fan. Mazda commercials are never about, look at this car, look at the features that it has, look how beautiful it is. Mazda's tagline for a while was zoom, zoom. In other words, you get into our vehicle, you're going to love the way it drives, you're going to love the way it handles, it's going to make you feel like a kid again when you got onto your bicycle or when you played with your toy cars and you were going zoom, zoom, zoom. That's the way it's going to make you feel. It never in those commercials is, look at the product that we have here, four-wheel drive, you know, leather seats, climate control at the touch of your fingers. It's none of that at all. It's about the experience of being in this vehicle, owning this vehicle, driving this vehicle whenever you want to. 
So if this type of branding is something that sits with you and creating a brand experience and therefore having people capitalize on that brand experience, well, where do we start? If we look at these nine things, and we're going to go through these individually. First one is know your audience. The second one is the KISS principle. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Evoke emotion, synchronize branding and the customer experience, humanizing your message, synergizing your team if you have one, and hopefully you will at some point, changing your toolbox, listening and making matters. So let's take a look. One, know your audience. We can't market an experience to them if we don't know what's memorable to them, right? It doesn't make sense. Then we're just, we're just throwing things against the wall and seeing what can possibly stick. That doesn't work at all. We want to know what matters to them. We want to know what do they care about? What makes them happy? What problems do they have that you can help them solve? Once we start to know our audience, then we can start to build that brand experience. So we want to almost map out the experience completely from all avenues. So examine what connects you to the consumer and then map that experience out. When we say map that experience out, understand all the points of entry and then what experience do we want to send them home with at every point of entry? In other words, the discovery experience. How do people learn about your brand? Right, So we want to make sure our branding message is consistent on all areas of discovery, whether that's signage in our clinic, whether that's a word of mouth message, whether that's a social media post, whether that's digital advertising, we want it to have a certain feel and vibe where that discovery experience is going to be consistent and it's sending a certain brand message. The service experience, what happens when people are actually with you? What happens when they're on your location? And this might be something that you want to figure out. You might want to actually sit in your waiting room one day and just watch how people interact, what is happening, and is this an experience that you want them to have, or do you want them to have a different experience that matches more with you and your brand, and therefore make those appropriate changes? What's the digital experience? In other words, how would people interact in a digital space around your product and service? What is the, what is the actual experience with your product or service? Does the product or service exceed expectations? They come in with a certain expectation. You want them to walk away exceeding that expectation. And then lastly, the community experience. How do people connect with others around your brand? This would make a very, very successful marketing campaign. In other words, it's not just targeting a specific individual. It's not just targeting a specific group. It's finding a way to have others communicate and share around your brand. So for example, if you're using Facebook and you have a Facebook group, That's a whole other story, right? Because a group allows people to interact and they're interacting within the realm of you and your brand. That's perfect. That's creating a community experience. That's the first thing. Know your audience. Our second thing is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. So things that are easy to engage, things that are easy to remember, things that are easy to share. And we want to make those things very easy for everybody. So if we look into a digital space, how can I make something easy to share? easy to remember. Do you have a Google map listing? Because if I have a Google map listing, anyone that comes to my location, they can sign in. 
They can say, hey, this is where I am. Physically, this is where I am, right? That makes things easy to share. That also creates the avenue for things that now become easy to engage with. Number three, we want to evoke emotion, right? Create an emotional connection. Understand and focus on the emotional experience associated with the brand. Again, not the product itself, not the service itself. And then we want to capitalize on the experience. Every conversation, every moment, every story creates an experience. And therefore, we always want to be on top of every conversation every moment, every story. People may forget what your brand said, but they will always remember how the brand made them feel. And therefore, that is something that they will end up sharing. Brand experience is based on these quote-unquote marketing truths. And the first of these marketing truths is people don't buy stuff. People do not buy stuff. In other words, people don't buy products. They don't buy services. They don't buy physically tangible things. What do they actually buy? They buy what the product does for them. They buy into the social connection. They buy into the shared experience. They buy into feeling. People buy on emotion and then they justify it with logic. I don't purchase solely on logic. I purchase on emotion and then I justify it at the end. Well, this, this purchase made sense. This was a good idea, or I can get this, this product does this thing for me or whatever the case is. So kind of keep that in mind. And if that's the intention, then we should focus less on positioning and more on feeling. I should focus a lot less on, look, I do reflexology. Look, I do prenatal. What does your prenatal do for that particular person? The prenatal is the stuff. What does the stuff do for them? So give me an idea since you're kind of into that pregnancy prenatal thing. What does the stuff do for them? What do they get out of your prenatal massage? Or what do they get out of your pregnancy massage? How does it make them feel? Let's, let's look at it from another route then. It calms down, right? It makes my body feel more in tune. I feel less disconnected from my body. I've got this parasite inside of me and it's making me feel strange. It's allowing me to connect more. Maybe that's an idea, right? Yes, definitely. So these are all things that we want to kind of bring into our advertising or our marketing. We want that stuff in there. It's not I do prenatal or I do pregnancy. It's how can we make this appeal to someone who's not going to buy this stuff for what the stuff does for them? How do you feel after getting that pregnancy massage? Well, I feel more connected with my body. I feel less pain and discomfort. This is going to actually allow me to enjoy this pregnancy that I have, which is this miracle that's happening in my body, and now it's making it an enjoyable experience. Why? Because I'm in less pain, because I'm in less discomfort, because I can get up and do things very easily compared to what I was able to do before. So that's not selling prenatal massage. That's selling the prenatal experience. Or that's not selling the pregnancy massage. That's selling the experience. Things like, hey, having a rough time with your pregnancy, want to figure out a way to actually enjoy your pregnancy and this, this, these very few rare moments that you'll have in your life, these once-in-a-lifetime moments, don't let those things go to waste. Enjoy every moment of it. It's very difficult to enjoy these moments when you're waking up with a stiff lower back or your lower back is bothering you, your upper back is bothering you. The swelling of your breast tissue is really causing you discomfort. It makes it 
more difficult to enjoy these moments. After the child is born, breast soreness associated with um, with uh, congestion and breastfeeding. Right? Breastfeeding is a beautiful, wonderful, natural thing. It's not going to come you, unless you plan on having you know 99 kids. This is a once in a lifetime moment or a very rare moment. Let's find a way for you to be able to enjoy it and soak in those moments and create those memories so you can look back and feel like you had a very positive experience with your pregnancy. That message hits home, not we do pregnancy massage. Not even, oh, pregnancy causing you lower back pain? Well, fuck yeah. Of course it's causing me lower back pain. But can you find a way to enjoy your pregnancy by being in a more physically comfortable state of mind or in a calmer, relaxed, psychological state, more in tune with your body to enjoy the changes that are happening that could sometimes feel uncomfortable? Does that make sense? We also want to look at the idea of synchronizing, synchronize the branding and the customer experience. So does your brand encourage and engage by doing the following? Does it invite participation? Does it build around the user? Does it inspire sharing? Does it create community? And the biggest thing here is does it create value? And oftentimes when we're looking at a brand or an experience of creating value, it often means we're giving away stuff for free. And this is where people kind of get a little bit strange about stuff because I don't want to give away things for free. I don't want to give away information for free. When you're looking for a customer or you're doing something business to business, the key thing here is to display value. If I can add value to your life consistently over and over without question, without asking for anything in return, now I'm more likely to come see you when I need something. Does that make sense? Like, for example, if I start giving out, because I have a different type of business, but if I start giving out information about my courses, I start, say I'm recording this right now, and as I'm recording this right now, I, I post it online, and I give it away for free. Well, yeah, this is part of the course that you know you paid for or anyone else would pay for, but nonetheless, it's providing a certain value. Now, someone is taking this and using this value or understands its value. The next time that they have marketing questions, they're going to look at my stuff first. Or they might even reach out to me about marketing and branding type of stuff. Why? Because I've displayed a certain type of value for you in your life. It's a super important adding value. That's probably the most important part of that particular side humanizing your message. We, when we're using social media or digital media, we have the opportunity of a real-time human interaction, right? Customers will always look at your marketing, your advertising, and they will ask themselves, where am I in this story? They don't consciously do it. They unconsciously take a look at everything you're doing. And if I cannot see myself in the message that you are giving out, then this message clearly isn't for me. And I don't have any feelings towards this particular message. So we definitely want to, when we're trying to, this is after, this is the stage after we've already decided the group that we're going to target. I'm going to target the idea for pregnancy. Now, every time we do the advertising and marketing for our pregnancy group, keep in mind that pregnant woman is going to look at this thing and say, can I see myself in this? Does this look like me? Does this sound like it's speaking to me? And they'll do that on a very unconscious level. In this case, that's where we start to use people as the experienced drivers. That's when we're moving 
from having customers as the destination for our marketing. We're moving them to putting them as part of our marketing message. It's not, I'm targeting you for this. No, I'm using you and your experience and I'm putting it here so you can see it and say, ah, that, that's me. That's me. And if that person in this marketing is using the service and I'm exactly like that person and they're happy with it and I like the experience and I want to feel like how they feel, I want to do what they're doing. And then we want to keep in mind every computer, every smartphone, it's an ad agency. So everyone's ability to post, to comment, to do something is really kind of free advertising for you. Make sense? If this experience marketing is for you, here's another part of what we're looking at. Synergizing your team. If you have a team, and eventually I want you to have a team. Branding starts inside your company with your company culture. Your people are your brand. Brands start in the recruitment process. Your first fans are your own people. Your why is what attracts people in the first place. I'll give you a really good example of this. We've had people take our course before, and when they come from various parts of Ontario. And one of the courses that we had, someone, it was our business course, someone from London, Ontario was here. And in London, there is, I can't remember the name of the clinic, but they, they focus all on pregnancy. And they are a very, very busy clinic. They actually don't find therapists to come work for them. They don't put out ads saying, we need a massage therapist. They ended up staffing their clinic because massage therapists saw what they were doing, fell in love with what they were doing, and wanted to be part of what they were doing. They created such a kind of dominant I don't know if dominance is the right word. It's such an influential company culture that if anybody felt similar to what they were doing was a good thing, they wanted to be involved with it right away. We actually have that happen here some of the time. We have people that contact us and say, I love what you guys do. Do you need teachers? I want to teach with you guys, right? And that's the idea. We've created this company culture, but it's not a secret company culture. We put it out there. So you can see what it's all about. And then that will attract not just potential employees or associates, but that same thing also attracts your potential clients, your potential customers. And to do all this, we need to be able to change our toolbox. In other words, to manage the experience, we need new tools. And our new tools that we're talking about today is going to be embracing digital marketing, digital media. Because old school marketing, like we said, will take you so far, but if you want a different kind of reach, then we have to embrace other stuff. And we're going to examine and evaluate our current tools and see if we have a new place to have these other tools come into play. Does that make sense? If this is something that you're interested in, listening is huge. Are you listening or are you not? Are you just talking? Are you just putting out messages? Are you using your communication platforms to market your products or services or are you using them to listen? We're going to talk about this a little bit later. There's an 80-20 rule. I'm not a huge fan of rules, but this one seems to make a lot of sense. There's an 80-20 rule when it comes to digital marketing. And the idea here is that you should not have hard sells more than 20% of the time. In all of the digital marketing avenues that you go down, in all of your digital marketing campaigns, only 20% of what you're doing should be a buy this. This is what we have going on. This is our sale. Come buy our product. Come for a massage. Only 20% of everything that you publish should be of that nature. The other 80% is 
communicating, listening, providing value for free, right? Not saying, here's some value, buy some stuff. It's here's some value and walk away. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do this stuff. So for example, what a great idea is this? You know you give remedial exercise to your patients. What if you put all of your remedial exercise in video format on your Facebook page? This way it's free for anyone to see. You can also refer your patients. Instead of telling your patients, here's some paper with the exercise on it, you tell them, go to my Facebook page, look in the video folder, find the video number six. This is the exercise that I want you to do every day. Now you're increasing traffic to your Facebook page. You also provided other stuff that anyone that's not your patient or client can see of you doing videos that shows therapeutic exercises. It's bringing them value. They're not even your clients yet. It's bringing them value. Now they're revisiting your stuff just to see the new or different things you have going on. It's not selling at all, but it's creating the avenue for a sale to take place. Does that make sense? And number nine here is make it matter. Crafting a branding experience should be strategic, not an afterthought. So understand the qualities and characteristics of appropriate brand behaviors. We want to look at managing, auditing, and refining the experience, and then align all your actions with a strategic platform. We shouldn't be, not to say that like random stuff is a bad thing. Random stuff is not a bad thing, but your whole strategy should not be we're randomly going to post, we're randomly going to advertise, we're randomly going to market. Everything should take place in terms of a marketing strategy. What am I trying to accomplish here at this moment? What am I trying to accomplish two months down the road, three months, four months, the next quarter, the next year? And then we align our marketing strategies to match. And in that time, can we do random stuff? Sure, as long as it doesn't interfere with the strategy. But doing random stuff and no strategy, that will bring success by accident. And that success by accident, unfortunately, is going to be limited. Like right now, if you, don't ha- if you have not been employing some sort of business strategies, I applaud you because you've been succeeding. But you've also been succeeding by accident. Make sense? Like you have your clinic, you have your family, you have money coming in, you obviously can support yourself. You're still winning. You're winning by accident. You're winning as an afterthought. Imagine what you can do if you strategize. And now we're going to set it up so we win by intent. Now we're doubling, tripling, quadrupling everything that we've already been doing. Are we cool with that? Right on. 